0: Luke chapter number 19 and verse number 11, the Bible says, "...and as they heard these things, He added and spake a parable, because He was nigh to Jerusalem, and because they thought that the kingdom of God should immediately appear." Now, this is speaking, of course, of our Lord, and if you ever read Letter Bible, you can see that. "...He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return." And He called His ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, now I want you to notice this phrase, Occupy till I come. But His citizens hated Him and sent a message after Him, saying, We will not have this man to reign over us. And it came to pass that when He was returned, having received the kingdom, then He commanded these servants to be called unto Him, to whom He had given the money, that He might know how much every man had gained by trading." Then came the first, saying, "Lord, thy pound hath gained ten pounds." Somebody say amen right there. I'm sure you've been there, uh, but of course that's not talking about money. All right, this morning, I hope everybody is. I said that. Do what? Starting to meddle now? Yeah. I said that, and everybody just brushed on by like. All right, amen. We'll go ahead on then. All right, and he said unto him in verse seventeen, Well, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in every little in in a very little, have thou authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said, Likewise to him be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept laid up in a napkin. For I feared thee, because thou art an austere man. Thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee, thou wicked servant. Thou knewest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest not thou my money into the bank, that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give it to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you, that unto every one which shall be given, and, uh, boy, uh, let me get that again, that unto every one which hath shall be given. And from him that hath not, even that he hath shall be taken away from him. But those mine enemies, which would not that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay them before me. And for emphasis, I want to read verse 13 again. And He called His ten servants and delivered them ten pounds and said unto them, Occupy till I come. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, Lord, I need You this morning. I don't just say that uh, to make an impression. I don't just say that for the sake of these here. But Lord, from my heart to Yours, I need You this morning. God, I don't have the physical or the spiritual or the emotional strength to do what needs to be done. But God, You promised You'd be my sufficiency. So Lord, I profess myself dead before You, Lord, that You might resurrect me in power and in glory and do a work in hearts through the power of Your Holy Spirit, Lord, help me to crucify myself. And Lord, help me to operate as a dead man, merely being used that You might put life in others. God, we need You so terribly this morning, it can't even be expressed If we're aware of it, we need you, Lord. And if we're not aware that we need you, we need you all the more. And so, God, I pray you'd do something real in our hearts today. We don't want anything manufactured, Lord. We want your Holy Spirit to do a work. And God, help us to be submitted to you and help us to be obedient to you. And, Lord, we want that so that you might gain glory in our lives. Father, we love you because you first loved us. But, Lord, we know that you love any and all in this world. And I pray if there's one amongst us that's lost, that you'd show them their need of you. Draw them unto Yourselves, Lord, and I pray they'd be saved today. Father, do all this in a way that give You glory. Not me, not anyone else in this room, but that You and You alone might be lifted up high and holy before us, that we might see Your goodness and Your grace, Lord, and praise You for it. Father, we love You and we ask all these things in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In this passage, we have a little phrase that I'm going to focus on here in a moment. Uh, The Bible tells us that this Lord had commanded, this nobleman had commanded His servants with one instruction. He said, Occupy till I come. But before we get there, I want to give you a little synopsis. Now, I'm not going to preach this uh, passage in a prophetic way or even in an analytical way. I just want to look at that word, Occupy. Uh, But as we see in this passage, we find that it's a picture of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's three same things that we see here. Are you with me this morning? I hope that you are. We see three things this morning. I want you to notice the immediate context of it. In verse 12, he speaks of a return. The Bible says a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return.
1: Can I tell you that right
0: now, that's what our Lord has done. The Bible teaches that Jesus Christ came into this world born of a virgin, 100% God and 100% man died on a rugged cross for your sins, for my sins, for everyone's sins. He tasted death for every man. That bothers some people, but I'm here to tell you that He tasted death for every man and that all might be saved if they would come unto Him. We know that's not going to happen, but we know that He will not cast out any that come uh, come unto Him. Uh, But the Bible teaches that He was crucified, that He was buried, that uh, three days, three nights later, He rose from the grave. Forty days later, the Bible tells us that He ascended up into heaven, and the promise was given. The the Bible says the angels uh, spoke to the men standing there and said, Ye Galileans, why stand ye here gazing? This same Jesus uh, shall return in like manner. And so the Bible teaches us that our Lord is returning. I believe He's returning very soon. You believe whatever you wish about that. It's not going to change or affect me one bit. You don't have to believe it, and that won't herald it me, even an inkling. But I'm here to tell you that I believe our Lord is coming soon. I believe He's coming. The Bible says he went to receive a kingdom and to return. And that's what he's done. He's gone, he's receiving a kingdom, and he's going to return. But the Bible speaks not only of a return that's coming, but the Bible speaks very clearly of a rejection that would take place. The Bible says that these citizens, I believe it's verse number 14, that these citizens uh, sent word to this man, to this nobleman, and said, we will not have this man to reign over us. Let me tell you something. Old-time Christianity is not a popular thing in this world. Being born again is not a popular thing in this this world Walking in the Spirit of God is not a popular thing in this world, but it's still right. In this world, the message that this world has given to God, listen to me, every time uh, that they take the Ten Commandments down, you know what they're saying? They're saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Every time they try to take God out of the pledge, they're saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. Every time they open a pornography store, they're saying, we will not have this man to reign to reign over us. Listen, every time they open up one of the devil's poisons, liquor stores, they're saying, we will not have this man to reign over us. And don't, don't you think for one moment, listen to me, the God of the Bible is the God of the universe, but Lucifer, the Satan, the devil of this world, is the God of this world. And the message of this world to a crucified and risen Savior has always been, will always be, until he comes back and sets things right. We will not have this man to reign over us. It's an authority issue. You. that's what it is and I tell you the problem with a lot of people today they don't like the authority let me tell you what people nobody minds uh, Christ on a cross help me now nobody minds Christ on a cross I mean hey listen uh, the biggest cult in the world puts them on a cross and wears them around their necks and puts them up in their houses this world don't mind Christ on a cross this world doesn't mind a baby in a manger it doesn't that doesn't bother them a bit I mean if it bothered them they'd give back the Christmas gifts. <laughs> It don't bother them. Let me tell you something. This world isn't even bothered by an empty tomb. I mean, how many of you grew growing up, you didn't have spring break. You had Easter break. You remember that? Let me tell you something. They'll start rolling out uh, the Cadbury eggs and the Peeps, and they'll start rolling all this out March 31st this month, if I'm not mistaken. You mark her down. They'll be having Easter egg hunts. They'll be having, this world doesn't mind, an empty tomb. I'll tell you what this world, what bothers them. Are you ready? That in the name of Jesus, every knee should bow. Every tongue should confess. That's what bothers this world. It's an authority issue. Hey, don't mind this man being there, but we will not have this man to reign over us. And let me tell you what a lot of church people's problems are. You ready? Oh, it's going to be a good service. You ready? A lot of church people's problem is this. We will not have this man to reign over us. That's the problem. Let me tell you something, never have we lived in a day of such fleshly and carnal church-going people. I mean, a man stands with a little backbone and preaches, they want to run him out of town. I mean, listen, a church exercises church discipline. You believe in church discipline, don't you? And next thing you know, they are a bunch of hate mongers. Now, I'll tell you the problem is we're a bunch of reprobate rebels in this world and we don't like anybody reigning over us, let alone God. That's the world that we live in. We see rejection in this passage. But we see a responsibility given to us. One instruction was given from this nobleman to his servants. One. Not a bunch. He didn't say, be baptized before I return. He didn't say, build you a great church before I return. He didn't say, build you a great denomination. Everybody hold hands, sing kumbaya before I come. He said, I want you to occupy. I want you to occupy. And let me tell you what this this world needs. Are you Ready? This world needs some good, old-fashioned Christians that are willing to occupy. That's what this church needs. I, I, I look at this passage, and uh, I, I see three things. I'm just going to be basic and simple. This thing pops like you wouldn't believe. So if it does, that's not me. That's it. Amen. There's a few things I see in this passage. I think about this word occupy, and it's going to be real simple today. Are you ready? I might even let you out before the Methodists get out. Who knows? I, I see, I see three, three connotations. I think about that word occupy. And I don't have a problem. If you want to look at Hebrew and Greek, there's no problem with that. I don't have an issue with that. But, but I kind of believe the Bible means what it says, says what it means. I don't think we should discard what a word means in English only for the Hebrew or the Greek. And I look at that word occupy. And to me, that word occupy implies three things. And I'm going to give them to you very quick, all right? The first thing I see when I think about something being occupied is I think of someone as a citizen occupying a place. Uh, you've seen it many times on hotel signs uh, or hotel rooms. They'll have that little word. What does it say? Occupied. You may have gone to a restroom, pulled on the door to go in. It was locked. And you looked down and you saw a little sign. What did it say? It said, occupied. You know what that means? They're trying to tell you somebody's here. Somebody's here. Somebody's in this place. And guess what? They're not going anywhere. <laughs> Let me tell you what I believe our Lord wants us to do. Okay, are you ready for this? I, I don't believe we're citizens of this world. I believe we're citizens of heaven. But Christ said this. Christ said, I would not that you should take them out of the world, but that you should keep them from the world. We're to be in this world. Are you hearing me? We're, and, and like it or not, here we are. We're in this world. We're living. We've got to live. I mean, we're functioning. How many of you, listen, how many of y'all, it's been a week since you've crossed paths with a lost person? Anybody? No? I I was at a camp meeting. I'm sure I met a few of them, amen? I mean, listen, we're in this world, but what are we to do? Are we supposed to run? No. We're supposed to occupy. We're supposed to live in this world and be an example and a light to a lost and dying world. Listen to me, some of you, you're the best Christian somebody knows. Some of you, their idea of what Christianity is, is based upon who and what you are. And what we are, gentlemen, what we are, ladies, is we are foreign citizens that are occupying a temporal country. We ought to be careful that we don't assimilate ourselves into the culture of it. We ought to keep that salt that Christ talked about. The Bible says if the salt has lost its uh, savor, wherewith shall it be salted? It is fit for nothing but to be trodden underfoot. Let me tell you why a lot of Christians in this world are getting walked over. It's because they lost their saltiness. Let me tell you why a lot of Christians are discouraged in this world. It's not because somebody hurt their feelings. It's not because somebody upset them. It's not because somebody did them wrong. They're miserable because they're not living like Christ in this world. I believe we need some Christians that are going to say, it don't matter what happens, I'm going to be a Christian in this world. It doesn't matter who upsets me. I'm gonna be a Christian in this world. Doesn't matter what trials that I go through. I'm gonna be a Christian in this world. Doesn't matter who my buddies are. I'm gonna be a Christian in this world. You hearing me young people? Doesn't matter who I'm surrounded with. I'm gonna be a Christian in this world. Doesn't matter who your boyfriend is or who your girlfriend is. I'm gonna be a Christian in this world. Doesn't matter how your parents live or what they do. Uh, Let me tell you one of the problems I find sometimes with church kids. uh, They hear so much preaching that the next thing they know, they think it's their responsibility to turn around and rebuke their parents. Your parent is your authority in your life. You let God deal with them. You just live as an example in front of them. Let me tell you something. The best thing that you'll ever do for someone is show them Christ in your life. We have a responsibility to occupy as a citizen in this world. What about the context of this passage? I believe we have a responsibility to occupy as a citizen, but I believe we have a responsibility to occupy as a servant. You say, what do you mean, preacher? Well, some of you, you work at a job. And somebody tell me what the another word for a job is. Really? Is that? Okay, thank you. All right. Whew. Man, it's bad when you start hearing the crickets answer you before the church people do <laughs> You're going to put me to sleep, amen? How's that for turnabout's fair play? (laughs) A lot of times you get a job. What do you call it? You call it an occupation. In other words, there's a task that's been set to your hand. And you have a responsibility to work at that task for a defined amount of time. Most of the time when you work or when you would work or did work or when you're going to work, no matter what stage of life you're at, most of the time they'll tell you, we're going to need you for eight hours a day. There's a certain period of time that you have to work at your occupation. Uh, really, this is the immediate context of what the nobleman's telling them. He, he's not necessarily immediately telling them as a citizen they're to live this way. But, but the immediate context is he's saying, I want you to occupy yourself about my business while I'm gone. Let me tell you something. Christ is not walking physically in this world. Christ is... Are you listening to me? Christ is not telling anyone the gospel right now. Am I right? Christ is, Listen, Christ is an intercessor for us, okay? He's praying for the saints. I understand that. But right now, in this world, Christ is not telling anyone the gospel. It's going to be me or you. Christ is not ministering in any local church in a physical way. It's going to be me and you. Christ is not, and and I understand through the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God comforts and encourages us, but, but Christ is not physically walking up and giving someone a word of encouragement. That's going to be me and you. I'm gonna be honest, church. We have a job to do. And, and last I knew, I mean, growing up, I was taught this way. Most of you were growing up taught this way. When you had a job to do, you did it. Amen? You say, somebody upset me. It don't matter. You did your job anyway. Some of you, listen, some of you ladies worked in offices. You ever, any of you ladies worked in an office before? Where's your battle scars? You know how that is. And listen, I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to be rude. I'm not trying to be insensitive. Uh, But you get a group of men together in a place, they they got problems, it's just going to come to blows and it's going to be over real quick. You get a bunch of women together in an office place or in a place of business, and buddy, that thing will fester. I'm talking about they'll start bringing guns and knives, and it can get ugly. You women know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking... But you know what you did? You got up and went to work every day. That's right. You got up. You say, oh, well, sometimes it's just so tough to get to church. Did that work with your boss? Help me now. I mean, am I wrong? Come on now. That's the truth, isn't it? You had a job to do. So you know what you did? You didn't whine about it. You didn't cry about it. You didn't make excuses. You just did it. That's character. That's character. That's what that is. And let me tell you something. Most Christians, even if they weren't spiritual, if they was what they ought to be, character would carry them where spirituality wasn't. I mean, you'd do it just because it's the right thing to do, even if you weren't doing it for the Lord. We find in this passage they had a job to do. I see three things about this. Listen to it carefully. As a servant, that a responsibility to be faithful. Look at verse number 17. Uh, the Bible says, And he said unto him, Well done thou, or well thou good servant, because thou hast been, listen to this word, faithful. Faithful, and it says faithful in very little. The Bible says, moreover, it is required uh, in, a, in a steward that a man be found faithful. Faithful is not an optional thing if you're going to live for Christ. It's just not. I, I mean, all this hit and miss stuff, that, that don't fly with God. You, you know, the, your church people may be nice to you and not hound you about it. The pastor may be nice. You know how nice I am, you know. I, I mean, I'm serious now. Your friends may... But one of these days, you're going to stand before an almighty God and you're going to be like that fellow that came in without his wedding garment. He was speechless. You're going to have to be faithful if you're going to occupy as a servant. It's required that you be faithful. It's not, listen, it's not suggested that you be faithful. It's not recommended that you be faithful. It's required that a man be found faithful. Boy, isn't it good when you know someone in your life that's faithful? You ever had somebody you can set your watch by? Boy, it's good, isn't it? I mean, it's good to have somebody in your life that you know you can count on. And let me tell you something, sometimes because we know that we're sin abounded, grace did much more abound. And, and I'm not denying that. Listen, I'm not a legalist. I'm not trying to say that grace doesn't abound. But sometimes we think that's a license to sin and a license to lay down on God and not do what He expects us to do. That's as wicked and straight out of hell as it gets. What did Paul say about that? What shall we say? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? He said, is that what we need to do? I mean, I, I think I think that 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 uh, probably Paul just paused there for a minute and let people think about it. I mean, I think if Paul was here preaching that message, he would have said, he said, what, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? And he would just stop and let people think about it. You know what he said? He said, God forbid. You know what that means? We say, you know, you hear people say, God forbid. And a lot of times, really, they're taking the Lord's name in vain because they don't even really mean it. And by the way, do you know that taking the Lord's name in vain is a lot more rotten than any curse word that you could utter? You hearing me? Amen? I mean, all, all the curse words that people use. Now, I'm not saying it's right. I'm not saying people should talk that way. But there's a lot of people that wouldn't talk with a filthy mouth, but they'll take God's name in vain without even blinking. You know what the Bible says? They'll not hold you guiltless who take his name in vain. That's what God said about it. I believe I'd check my words because every idle word is going to be called into judgment one day. That's Bible, isn't it? Uh, but, you know, we uh, people say, God forbid. But really, what does that mean? It means if you forbid someone from a place, you know what that means? You're not even going to allow them in your presence. You're forbidden from this place. In other words, don't come around. Don't even bring yourself around. You know what God says? He says, don't even talk like that in my presence. He doesn't even allow that thought to enter into His presence. God forbid. God forbid. You see, the truth of the matter is no matter who will accept your excuses, you're going to stand before God in heaven that's going to require you. Faithfulness. And if you're going to occupy as a servant, you're going to have to be faithful. But you're going to have to be fruitful. He gave each of these men ten pounds. And I don't know, we could argue about it. I kind of believe that this message is dealing with the gospel. Now, you don't have to believe that. There are passages where he gives men talents and he gives them different portions. But all three of these men were given the same exact thing and they were required to trade it. They weren't expected to keep it. They were expected to trade it and to share it and to try to be fruitful as a result of it. And Whenever that wicked servant that had took that, hid it into a napkin, not done anything with it, when he stood before God, God called him a wicked servant. Servant, you know why he hadn't been fruitful? There's a lot of people in this world that have never stepped out on their spouse, isn't that right? I mean, there's a lot to have, but there's a lot to have There's a lot of people in this world that have never really stole nothing. I'm not talking about a pencil or a piece of bubble gum. I, I, I still change out of his pockets every chance I get. That's not Lord understands that, but but I, you know, I'm being serious about this now. There's a lot of people they've never stole a car, never embezzled money, anything like that. A lot of people in this world, that they've never killed nobody. You know, they've never... I mean, they've never... But let me tell you something. They've also never won a single person to Jesus Christ. Do you think God's going to be pleased with that church? Do you really think? It got quiet in here now. Do you really think God's going to be pleased with people that go through this life and take what God's given them and put it in a napkin and hide it away? God's given us the best answer to every solution. God's given us the, the, the solution to every problem in this world. Listen to me. Men and women are dying and going to hell every day and we have the answer and we put it in a napkin and we hide it and we find every excuse to not tell someone the gospel. And you think God's going to be pleased with that? It's required that we be fruitful. Fruitful. Multiply. Everything reproduces after itself. Let me tell you what Christians reproduce. They reproduce Christians. I'm not talking about uh, anatomically. I'm talking about spiritually. That's the main... I know there's the fruit of the Spirit. By the way, it's not the fruits of the Spirit. A lot of people think just because they have meekness that they can uh, let it slide on their faith. No, it's the fruit. It's the fruit. It's the ninefold fruit. Of the Spirit. If a man's got the Spirit of God within him, he's going to manifest these nine elements. Uh, but let me tell you something that's not the fruit that's being talked about when the Bible uh, speaks of our fruitfulness. You'll bear much fruit. We have a responsibility to give the gospel, to be fruitful, to grow in our Christian walks. There's a third thing we see that for a man to occupy as a servant, he's got to be faithful and he's got to be fruitful. But he really needs to be fearful. This world doesn't like the fear of God. Am I right? This world doesn't like the fear of God. But let me tell you something. In the Bible, the fear of God is the beginning of knowledge. You don't fear God, you're not going to get anywhere in your Christian walk. Now listen, I'm not talking about a terror. I'm talking about what did he say about him? He didn't say you're an awful man. He didn't say you're a terrible man. What did the servant say? He said, I knew that thou art an austere man. In other words, you're a hard man. You require things of your servants. And let me tell you something. Of course, we know what the Lord said to him. And I like this. One of these days, this lip service ain't going to sell it. I'm, I'm just telling you, church, one of these days, it don't matter if you can talk the talk, if you're not walking the walk, the Lord knows. And you know what he said to him? He said, you're going to be judged out of your own mouth. And let me just put it in plain hillbilly, okay? He said, if you really thought that, you'd have done something about it. If we really fear God, it's gonna change the way we live. Uh, listen, the, most, most people in this world, I'm talking about people that claim to be born again, Bible believing, separated Christians. Most of them don't have no more fear of God than they do of the neighbor's puppy. They don't, they do what they wish, they do what they please, and never give a single thought to how God feels about it. There's no fear of God in an attitude like that. None whatsoever. It's required that you be fearful. You ever give it a thought? Uh, what does the Bible say? Oh, uh, you know, we love that He'll direct our paths, don't we? <laughs> we love He'll direct our paths. He goes before us. He makes a way. Oh, that's so sweet. Now, the Bible says, in all thy ways, acknowledge Him. He shall direct thy paths. Let me tell you how a lot of people wind up in a mess. They've got the name of Christ that they're touting around, but they're not taking into consideration how God feels about things. And, it's, and listen, church, it's not about your actions. It's about your reactions. When you get in a mess, do you, are you concerned with how God feels about it? When you've got a choice to make, are you concerned with how God feels about it? Or is it just one of these, Lord, please rubber stamp my plans for my life? That's wicked. That's wicked. Are y'all asleep? That's wicked, is it not? I mean, is that not wicked? I mean, to sit there and expect God just to rubber stamp our plans for our life and try to pass that off and lie to this world and lie to our hearts and lie to the Holy Ghost and say that that's the will of God. We don't care no more that that's the will of God than we care anything. We just want to do what we want to do and feel good with God about it. That's not being fearful. It's required that we be fearful. There's another connotation of the word occupation. You're already mad at me, so I guess I'll preach it on. Vietnam was not a war, they tell me. Is that true? What about Afghanistan and Iraq? They tell me that's not a war. But that was what? What was that? That was an occupation. That was a military occupation. Let me tell you, I think we ought to occupy as a citizen of heaven in this world as a foreign citizen. I think we ought to occupy as a servant of the nobleman. But I think we ought to occupy as a soldier in an army. Uh, in these wars, the reason they didn't call them wars, they called them occupations, was this. They weren't trying to win the war. They were just trying to take a stand. Let me tell you, and I, I know people say, oh, we ought, to, we ought to storm the gates of hell, and we ought to this and that. I understand what they mean. And I do believe we ought to be proactive in our Christianity. But let me tell you this much. It's not going to be us that wins this war. You hear me? It's not going to be us that wins this war. Hey, the servants... The servants didn't take care of those citizens. The Bible tells us in verse twenty-seven that it was the nobleman that took care of those citizens that had rebelled against him. We're not going to win this war. We're going to be snatched out before it gets too bad. <laughs> well, I say too bad. It's bad enough now, Amen. I'd, Amen. I'd rather go on now. But I, I'm talking about, but before it absolutely the bottom falls out, we're going to be snatched out. The Bible says that the church is not appointed under wrath. Now, what it says, church is not appointed under wrath. Uh, You read in the Bible, get to chapter number 4 of the book of Revelation, you won't find the church anymore. You'll find saints, you'll find saved people, but you won't find the church anymore. The church as an entity is gone. You know when that happened? When John heard a trumpet and saw a door. (laughs) When he heard a trumpet and when he saw a door open in heaven. One of these days, the church is going to hear a trumpet and we're going to go through a door. So, you know, we're not talking here about storming the battlements of hell. But in a military occupation, your responsibility is to stand and to be a presence in an enemy country. You see, the truth of the matter is this. We live in a day of soft Christianity. I'm telling you, and I'm not, I, I don't, I'm not saying we ought to advocate. Uh, you, you know, I don't think it's wrong to read books. I like what Spurgeon said. He said, uh, visit other books, but live in the Bible. And and Spurgeon said, I'll read any book that will help me to understand the book. And you you open up and read in Fox's Book of Martyrs sometimes, and and you'll find tough Christianity. I wonder, listen to me, I wonder if we was breaking the law by being here this morning, I wonder how many of you would be here. If we were breaking the law by being here this morning, I wonder how many of you would still be here. I wonder how many of you would be at the house. We live in a day of soft Christianity. We live in a day when, it, when it's just it's easy. you know, And it really is. I mean, I mean you say, oh, but the, the Christian life is tough, and I know we have storms, and I know we have battles, but listen to me, there's not a one of you that gave a single thought that there was going to be a police officer come through here and arrest us for meeting this morning. There wasn't a single one of you that thought that the government was going to storm down your door because they knew you was getting ready for Sunday meeting. Every single one of you in this place, you came to church comfortable this morning. You knew you was going to make it here, except the Lord should kill you or take you home. And you expect to make it home, too. We live in a day of soft Christianity. It don't cost us nothing to serve God. It doesn't cost us anything. I was reading there <laughs> the book of uh, First Kings. Elijah is standing there at that altar. And uh, he tells in First Kings chapter 18, the, the showdown on Mount Carmel. He tells those men, I never thought about this before, but he tells those men, he says, I want you to go get 12 barrels of water. I want you to pour it all over that altar. And I thought to myself, you read in that passage, the Bible tells us there's a famine in the land and a drought. The most valuable thing in that country was the water that was being poured out on that altar so God can consume it. Christianity that don't cost you anything. Now, I'm not talking about being born again. We know salvation. Salvation was not free, but it paid for, paid in full by Jesus Christ. And thank the Lord for it. But I'm talking about Christianity. I'm talking about discipleship. I'm talking about living the Christian life. A Christian life that don't cost you anything ain't worth nothing. It's not worth a thing. I'll get there if I can. That means you won't get there. I'll give if I can. That means you're going to blow it all and give the Lord your table scraps. Christianity that amounts to something costs something. And as a soldier, we need to have an attitude of sternness, and an attitude of resolve. There's three things in this passage, and I, I'm, I'm going to say these in hush. As a soldier, we ought to be strong. Thou, therefore, my son, endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. We live in a day where least little thing happens, we get upset. We live in a day, least, least little thing, we're out of church. Least little thing, we fall out with Somebody. You get people out here, they got their feelings hanging out six feet wide and they get upset when somebody bumps into them. That's as wicked and out of hell as it gets. What happened to an attitude of hardness? What happened to an attitude of resolve? You listen to me, young people. You live in a wicked and godless world. You're going to take a stand for Jesus Christ. You say, preacher, do you believe in Christian education? I love Christian education. Preacher, do you believe in homeschool? I love homeschooling. I probably homeschool my kids saying, so mow my yard earlier in the day, Amen. You say, Preacher, are you against public schools? I'm against the public school system. Amen. But, many times, these kids that grow up in public schools, if they really give their heart to God, they actually make it when they get out in the world, whereas a lot of the Christian school kids don't. You say, Preacher, why is that? They learn to get hard. They learn to be tough about the Christianity. They learn to take a stand when it wasn't easy to. They learn to take a stand when they had a whole classroom shouting them down. And as Christians, we have responsibility to be strong in the face of adversity and of difficulty. And let me tell you something. It it, it was always said, Bob Jones Sr. said, character is determined by what it takes to stop a man. And a lot of Christians in this world, it don't take much to stop them. It don't take much. Somebody say a cross word at them. They're out. Somebody, listen, somebody accidentally, somebody don't shake their hand. They're out. We wonder why our churches aren't growing. Boy, it gets quiet. I found that quiet time is usually the best preaching, haven't you? That's the reason churches aren't growing more than they are is because everybody is too big of babies and too sour and they get out at the drop of a hat. Nobody will stick in and tough it out and learn to love people with their problems. You better learn to love people with their problems if you want people to love you with your problems. And guess what? You've got them like I've got them. You've got problems like I've got them. This preacher is not made of gold. This preacher is flesh and bone. This preacher has blood in his veins and has flesh in his body and he's going to make mistakes and he's going to do things wrong. And by the way, you're that way too. You better learn to love people that way. and You better get tough about your Christianity. If you're really going to take a stand, you're going to have to be tough. You're going to have to be strong, but you're going to have to be steadfast. The Bible says in the book of Romans, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain. We've thrown steadfastness out the window. And, and I'm not talking about in the matter of, of getting upset or getting out or getting, I'm talking about people, we just live in a lazy day. Hey, let me tell you something, if Rush Limbaugh had said that, some of you would have been shouting and running the aisles. We live in a day of laziness, am I right? Oh, we want, we want to talk about it when it's the welfare cases, but when it's the church going people, when it's laziness on God, we get quiet. That's true, isn't it? We're just a lazy group of people. Anything will stop us. We're just lazy. We don't, we don't go. We don't do any little thing. And I'll tell you what it is. It ain't nothing but just pure, putrefying flesh. That's all it is. Carnality that causes us to be that way. We need to learn to be steadfast. Because there's going to come a day in this... And listen, I believe it's soon, church. I believe we're soon coming to a time when it ain't going to be easy to serve God. I think we're coming to a time when it's going to be between God and your family. I think we're coming to a time where it's going to be between God and your freedom. We better learn how to be steadfast. We learn better learn how to be steadfast, not to give out, not to give in, but to determine that we're going to go with God no matter what happens in our life. We're determined we're going to go with Him. Finally, to stand. What does the book of Ephesians chapter 6, verse 13 say? Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. You said, I thought this was going to be a prophecy message. Yeah, Did you hear that phrase? The evil day? That's where we're living, isn't it? The evil day. Withstanding the evil day, and having done all to stand. We ought to be taking a stand. We ought to be taking a stand against ungodliness. What do you allow in your home? I'm not asking you to answer that to me. I'm asking you to answer that to yourself. You allow that filthy poison, that liquor in your home. You allow you allow immorality in your home? Oh, now, let me make somebody mad here. I'm not trying to. I'm really not. I I say that jokingly. I'm not wanting you to be mad at me, but I'm wanting to be truthful. Do you allow immodesty in your home? What do we allow in our home? What do we take a stand against? I'm not I'm impressed for a man that takes a stand for something. I, I'm going to be honest with you. And I found this in churches. I know churches that are taking a stand for the right thing, that are busting at the seams, nobody gets upset, the devil never gets stirred up. Let me tell you who, who the devil gets mad at. It's not the people that take a stand for something, it's people that take a stand against something. I, I promise you, neighbor, I could go across this country preaching the gospel and the love of Jesus Christ, and that's not a bad thing. And I'd never upset the Catholics. And i never upset the Mormons. And i never upset uh, the Jehovah's Witnesses. I'd never upset any of them. The Seventh-day Adventists. Let's go down the line. We can keep on naming them. I'd never upset anyone. But let's say I go across this country starting to preach against sin. And I promise you I wouldn't make it two towns before I'd have upset some group, some church over that issue. It's not taking a stand for something. That's why, it, it, I mean, it goads me. You know, do you know your pastor has pet peeves? <laughs> You know he does. I mean, he's flesh. Let me tell you what one of my pet peeves is when people say, "Well, you just need to preach the gospel." Let me tell you, where's my Bible? Give me your Bible, honey. The only thing in this this book is not all gospel. You hear me? The gospel is a, is a defined thing, a defined thing. Look at look at First Corinthians chapter fifteen. Modesty is not the gospel. Separation is not the gospel. Listen to me. Prophecy is not the gospel. But the Bible commands me to preach the whole counsel of God. You take a stand for something, that's great. It gets thick when you start taking a stand against something. And as a Christian, you have a responsibility. Let them teenagers get mad when you start taking a stand against something. It'll be good for them, though. that That's what made a difference in my life. was my mom and daddy making a stand against things that I was doing in my life. I'm going to give you this and I'm going to hush. My daddy told me. And, I, and by the way, I rise up and call them blessed as a result of this. I was, when I was a teenager, I, I was smoking. And, uh, and I was one of them kids. I mean, listen to me. If I, if I was a lost man and if I drank, I'd be a drunk. I mean, that's just my personality. I'm serious. I, if I was a drug addict, I'd be strung out on Skid Row. It's just my personality. I'm like that. I, when I smoked, I'm talking about a 15, 16-year-old boy. When I smoked, I smoked unfiltered Lucky Strike cigarettes. That, that, that was just the way I was. And my daddy told me, he caught me climbing in the window one day. <laughs> I'd been out on the roof smoking. And I remember he told me this, and this has always stuck with me. He said, son, I'm going to give you three licks this time. And I thought, hallelujah. <laughs> three licks, my goodness. That's wonderful, I'll take that. He said, next time I'm going to give you six. And the time after that, if I catch you again, I'm going to give you 12. After that, it'll be 24, and after that, it'll be 48. And you get too big for a belt, I'll use a baseball bat. But I'm going to do what I have to do to make you mine. Let me tell you something. That made a difference in my life. He took a stand against something in his home. He didn't take a stand for something. He wasn't taking a stand for good health. He was taking a stand against a rebellious teenage boy. That's what he was doing. And it made a difference in my life. You need to learn how to take a stand in this world because this world is going the opposite way of your Savior. And if you're going to go with Him, it's going to mean taking a stand. And it's not going to mean taking a stand with somebody and swimming downstream. It's going to mean taking a stand against somebody and going upstream. We need to get, hey, we need some old-fashioned Christians that are going to occupy. Uh, I I didn't say we need old-fashioned Christians that are going to occupy part of the time. You said, preacher, you said about that eight-hour day earlier, how long do we occupy? Till I come. Till I come. You say, well, I've served God for so many years, and I'm just, you know, I'm just worn out. What are your marching orders? Occupy till you're worn out. He said, occupy till I come. I used to serve God. But then somebody said something cross to me. I got out of church. I'm not going down there with a bunch of hypocrites. No, you'll go home and, and live in a house with a bunch of hypocrites. That's what you'll do. You'll sleep in the same bed as a hypocrite. That's what you'll do. Uh, you'll, you'll look in a mirror every day when you wake up and you'll see a hypocrite. But you won't go to church with hypocrites. I'm telling you, there ain't a person in this room that ain't a hypocrite to some degree. Amen. Every single one of us are. That's the sorriest excuse, and maybe we just preach heavy on it because we've heard it so much, but that is the sorriest excuse. You'll go to Walmart with a bunch of hypocrites. You'll go to your doctor. He took a hypocritical oath. You know that? Amen? That yeah. don't bother you! But you get out over church. You get out of church over it. No, that's sorry. I used to serve God, but I got out. Somebody hurt my feelings. What'd, you, what'd your nobleman say? What'd your master say? What'd the Savior say? He said, occupy till I come. He said, I'll let you know. Let me tell you something. When we get our orders to cease and desist, it's going to be from the mouth of the Son of God. It's not going to be from anyone else. we have a responsibility to work and to serve until we see Him coming.